0: Um, We're reading from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 26. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we've already made the change that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Christ Jesus God represented Christ presented Christ a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so, that, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is God's word.
1: Let's pray as we begin. Our oh fathers, we've already prayed in the service. We ask that you'd, you'd meet with us. We pray that you, the living God, our creator, would show us again what you are truly like. Amen. Um, okay, question to begin with. How can we have both justice and forgiveness? How can justice and forgiveness kind of come together? Um, as a society, I think we're beginning to realise that we do really need both. Um, I've been reading a fascinating book recently called uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by a bloke called uh, John Ronson. And it's pointing out how um, on the internet, social media particularly, uh, particularly, um, we've been pursuing justice. He gives some really interesting examples of how uh, uh, corruption has been exposed, uh, of how uh, victims, voiceless victims, have been given a voice. Um, of how people who would normally be able to cover it up have been brought to, to justice. Some wonderful examples uh, of, of how we can have justice. But the author also points out that in that space, there isn't very much room for forgiveness, a way back. So he gives one example of a lady who uh, tweeted an insensitive joke as she was getting on a plane going on a holiday. And uh, many people were offended on Twitter. It went viral while she was in the air. She came off the plane, opened up her phone, and there were literally millions upon millions of people around the world shaming her, publicly shaming her. Now, she was immediately sorry, but her life was ruined. Her job was gone. Her boss texted her, say, you're fired. Many of her friends wouldn't speak to her anymore. There was no way back. There was justice but no forgiveness. And the and author kind of points out because every single one of us make mistakes, that is, that is a scary world to live in, isn't it? A world where there's justice, but no forgiveness. How can we have both? Of course, the same, the same problem is uh, equally as bad the other way around. If you have forgiveness without justice. So I, I heard an example about this uh, recently. A young boy I know, seven years old, was at school and a, a nine-year-old boy uh, lured him behind a tree in the playground out of the sight of the teacher where there was another nine-year-old boy who threw him to the ground and was punching him. Um, and uh, uh, the boy on the ground called out to his friends, can you go get the teacher? And they didn't, they egged on the bully. Eventually, the boy on the ground got up Uh, and went to the teacher, told the teacher what had happened. And the teacher said, oh, that doesn't sound like this other, it doesn't sound like something he would do. did nothing. This boy had been kind of traumatized. And the teacher effectively said, let's forget about it. Let's just forget about it. That is not good. Uh, As you can imagine, that boy was crying before going into school for the next few days, because um, forgiveness without justice, you can't flourish in, in a society or a situation where there's forgi- uh, f- uh, forgiveness but no justice. How do we, br- how do we get both? <laughs> we do need both. How do we have both justice and forgiveness? We need that as a society. But I think also this is a deeply personal question for every single person in the room. Because of verse 23, verse 23 with me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God's Um, Romans has been showing us that every single one of us is is under sin, whether we consider ourselves religious or irreligious, moral or immoral. Romans has been showing everyone, everyone's fallen short um, of the glory of God. Every single one of us is facing God's anger. Romans chapter 1 said we're actually storing up God's anger for the moment when we meet him and he judges us. And God can't just say, like that teacher... We'll just forget about it. Let's just forget about it. He if a teacher can't do that, the God of the universe, he can't do that. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be worthy of worship. He wouldn't be morally um, praiseworthy if that was the case. So how can forgiveness and justice come together? That is something our society needs. But deeper than that, that is something that every single one of us needs. Well, this passage tells us that there is one place where those two things meet. At the cross of Jesus Christ. There's both perfect justice and forgiveness and mercy And three points we're going to work through. You can see them on the the service sheet there. Um, But the big idea, I think, of this passage is that the way that God forgives us shows us how just he is. He is both of those things that we need. He is forgiving and he is just. And the way that he forgives us shows us his justice. So let's walk through those points then. Um, first one, uh, down there on the sheet. God has revealed a way to be right with him. Have a look at verse 21 with me. Um, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference um, between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely, by His grace. Now, um, the word righteousness there in verse twenty-one. That's talking about a way that we can be right with God. God has revealed verse twenty-one. He's made known a way that you and I can be right with Him. A way we can be forgiven. A way we can have forgiveness. Uh, two things to notice about it in verse that He wants us to see in verse twenty-one. First of all, do you see, it's apart from the law and the law and the prophets testify to it. Um, We saw last week, didn't we, that uh, God's law in the Old Testament is rules. Uh, It's kind of like a mirror. It can show us the sin, the decay in our hearts, but it can't clean it. It can't wash us by trying to obey God's rules. That can't uh, clean the sin in our hearts. Here we see, yeah, it's like a mirror, but but more than that, it also points us to the solution. It's not the solution, but it's like a a mirror with an arrow on it <laughs> that points you to where the answer is. And that answer, the solution, is in Jesus Christ. And that matters, by the way, because this isn't a plan B. Sometimes people talk about the Old Testament as if God kind of tried the law and it wasn't working. So we thought, oh rats, better send Jesus. Um, But no, 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 the law and the prophets, the Old Testament was always testifying to it. It was always pointing us to the real solution, the real way that we can be right with him, which is through Jesus Christ. And that's the second thing to notice. The way that we're right with him is through faith in Jesus. Look at verse 22 with me. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It comes through believing to those who believe, quite apart from what they do. The whole Bible is full of stories of salvation for people who don't deserve it, quite apart from what they do, forgiveness. Now, I'm I'm aware in this room, for many of us, this is a truth that we've grown up with, that we're very familiar. So I'd I'd like to just tell a story of, of, uh, it's easy to forget how wonderful this is. But rightly understood, this is amazing, isn't it? I'd like to tell you a story of uh, how one woman came to see how amazing this is. Uh, a lady I know. Um, she'd grown up in a Christian home, um, uh, and she'd always considered herself a Christian. Uh, but she hit a period where she started kind of leading a double life. Uh, as she was in a, a deeply unhealthy relationship that she was kind of hiding. Um, and she did some things of which she was really, really ashamed and uh, she got to a point where the, the the burden of that kind of guilt was was overwhelming. She felt like she was too bad for God. And the way she responded was basically one summer, she went on kind of a, a, a binge, a hedonistic binge. So she was intentionally trying to ignore God, trying to run away from him, trying to break his commands, chasing kind of temporary pleasures and hiding that from her Christian friends uh, and family. And, and she said that she she, she felt like, Both types of people we've been looking at in Romans, she felt like someone who ignores God's commands, breaks them, but she also felt like a religious hypocrite, all rolled into one. And she was moving city, and as she as she moved city at the end of that summer, she came to the point where she decided, okay, I've tried living as a Christian for eighteen years, and I've failed. I'm going to stop playing. I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to call my family and tell them I'm no longer going to church. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to go my own way. Despite how hollow that feels, I'm going to go my own way. And um, her her first week in this new city, she uh, went to a pub one night and she got chatting to uh, a bloke at the pub who turned out to be a Christian. And he asked her, you know, um, uh, if she believes in God. And she said, yeah, I, I, I do believe in God. But she was very, very honest. I've tried to follow him for 18 years. And I just can't, I can't do it. I failed. I can't do that anymore. And he smiled at her and said, you know, that's not how it works, <laughs> right? But God saves us through faith in Jesus. That's how we're right with him, not by what we do. And he said to her, I think you need to go home and pray. And she went home that night um, and she, she didn't normally do this, but she, she thought, right, I'm just going to open the Bible at random and see what's there. So she opened the Bible at random And guess what passage she flipped to? These words right here. And so she read uh, verse 22. Look with me. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. She'd read those words before. She'd grown up with them. But suddenly they clicked. And they made sense. And she said she just felt an overwhelming relief. And she fell asleep (laughs) almost immediately. But then woke up the next morning with an overwhelming feeling of peace. Knowing that she was right with her creator. That peace is a peace that every single one of us can. If we're Christians, we're trusting in Jesus. That peace is ours. Because God's made this known to us. For those of us that might not believe in Christ yet, this it's on offer. That is on offer to you. God has revealed it. He's made this known. This is how we can be right with him. It's right there for us. He's made hes made known a way we can be right with him. Uh, how can he do that? How does this work? Well, it's through Jesus' death on the cross. Have a look down at verse 24 with me. Um, All are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's through Jesus' death on the cross um, that we can be right with God. Now, there's three pictures that we get here. Um, You might have missed them. There's three pictures that we get. Um, The first one is in verse 24. We are justified by his grace. That, That word justified, it's the picture of a courtroom. Um, it 's a legal term. it means being declared not guilty um, being declared it 's a status that 's given to you declared not guilty beyond accusation now last week we thought about this didn 't we We thought about that moment that every single one of us is going to face where we stand before God our creator and he judges us. We thought about how that 's going to feel as the charges are read out and Uh, every word, every bitter word we've said, every deceitful word, um, every damaging word, uh, every conflict that we've been in, every moment that we've turned away from God, charges are going to be read against us. And there's going to be no defense. (laughs) We saw last week that in that moment, I'm just going to shut up. There'll be no excuses, no blaming other people, No saying I was better than that other person. Just quiet acceptance of God's anger and the judgment of God um, coming on us. But then the verdict comes not guilty. Not guilty. Now that, that that word justified there, it doesn't just mean not guilty, you can go. It's much better. It means not guilty, you can come. You can come to God and enjoy his love like your father. Justified, not guilty. It, it's a status granted to us with all the security and all the comfort and all the peace that that lady enjoyed. Justified. So, so. You might be thinking, okay, you're fine, but what about the justice? <laughs> okay, that's forgiveness. We've got the forgiveness, but what about the how is that just? Just to say, isn't that just saying, oh, let's forget about it? Isn't that just saying, oh, let's forget about it? God can't do that. But we get these two other pictures that help us understand how this could be just. Second picture, verse 24: we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the second picture, redemption. It means buying something back. It's a picture of a a slave market, is the image this invokes. Um, A slave market uh, where a price needs to be paid um, to buy back, to liberate, to free uh, 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 the the slave. Um, We saw last week in verse 12, didn't we? This idea that we're all under the power of sin. Uh, one, one writer put it this way, we're all slaves in the dark little dungeon of our own egos. It's a great phrase, isn't it? <laughs> we're all slaves in the dark little dungeon of our own egos under the power of sin, slaves to our sin. Now to free a slave, there's a cost, a price must be paid, the price of a life. So how, how does that happen? How are we freed? Well, verse 25, redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Christ sees the price and says, I will pay that for you. My life for yours. That is the value that he puts upon you. That is the love that he has for you. Do you see his love for you in that? See, this is free to us because it was so costly to him. Do you see his love for you in that? Redemption. The third picture we get is in verse 25, uh, and it's of, of, of the temple. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement uh, through the shedding of his blood. sacrifice um, of atonement. And now this is a picture from the Old Testament of how God's anger at our sin can be turned away. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 16. The basic picture is the people are, are, are unclean, they're under sin, they can't approach God. Um, uh, and the priest uh, takes two goats, and one of the goats is killed, and the other of the goats is sent away. And it's a picture of two things. It's a picture that um, uh, there needs to be a, p- a punishment, the penalty needs to be paid... Um, for our sin and our sin needs to be taken away from us that's a sacrifice of atonement that for God's anger at my sin to be taken away uh, uh, there needs the punishment for it the penalty for it needs to be paid but the amazing thing here about verse 25 is that God himself pays the penalty do you see that verse 25 Christ God the son pays that penalty through the shedding of his blood, God the Son faces the penalty my sin deserves to turn God's righteous anger away from me. Do you see his love for you in that? It means that there's nothing left to pay. There's no penalty left to pay. There's total certainty for me now, just like there was for that lady um, earlier. When I'm afraid, I don't, I don't just hope, oh, maybe God will forgive me. I hope that he loves me. No, no, no. I can look at the cross and know the penalty's paid. There's nothing left to pay. I'm totally free. I'm totally redeemed. I'm totally justified, totally atoned for because of what Jesus has done. Now, just look at this diagram for a moment. Uh, kind of tries to capture all the different things that are going on in these three verses. So we've got the the picture of the temple where wrath is propitiated. That's God's anger is turned away. Um, The son turns away the father's anger. We've got the slave market down the bottom where the son pays the ransom, pays the price, his life for mine. And we've got the courtroom where I am declared not guilty by God. Now just notice for a second. What does the believer do? nothing. All of this flows from God to us. Do you see how good that is? It all flows from him to us. Do you see his love for you in that? Do you see his mercy for you in that? And these verses want us to see more than just his love though. They want us to see his moral perfection this brings us to our third point. It's the really interesting thing in verse 25 and 26. The thing they emphasize is that this shows us God's moral perfection. Have a look down at verse uh, half, second, way, second half of verse 25. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be the one who justifies, so uh, to be just and the one who justifies those. Who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the word righteousness there in verse 25, it's referring to the attribute of God in himself, his righteousness in himself. It is how God is utterly just and fair and morally perfect. The way that God makes us righteous, right with him, shows us his righteousness. Do you see that? The way he forgives us shows us how just he is. It shows us how good he is. It shows us that he's not like that teacher who says, oh, let's just forget about it. He's not like that. So we see that in verse 25. And to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Um, now, wait, flip chart time. The moment you've all been waiting for. Um, see, the people, uh, imagine this is time and the cross happens here. This is when Jesus died. What about all the people before the cross? How could they be forgiven? Was God just saying, oh, let's forget about it? Well, no. In his forbearance, he left those sins unpunished so that all of them were punished at the cross. Just like for us, this side of the cross, all of our sins are punished at the cross. So the effects of the cross are universal. They go back and forward through time. What does that mean? It means there is no sin that God doesn't punish. There is no sin. It'll either be punished in you when you face his judgment, or it was punished with Christ on the cross. He's never like that teacher. He never says, oh, just forget about it. He's utterly morally pure and good and just and righteous always. But that means, because of the cross, that means, verse 26... Have a look down with me. He um, he's both just and the one who justifies. You see, if God just forgave, there'd be no justice. And you can't trust a God like that. If God just condemned, there would be no forgiveness. You can't turn to a God like that. But in the cross, God does both. He's both utterly um, just and pure and righteous, and he's able to justify and forgive us. He brings those two things that we desperately need together. He's utterly, infinitely loving and infinitely just. And he's both at the same time through the cross of Christ. Uh, Psalm 85 says, um, Mercy and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other at the cross. So what are, we, what are we to do with this? What does this mean for us sitting here today? Just three three brief thoughts, um, three things. Uh, trust, adore, and enthuse. Trust, adore, and enthuse. First of all, trust. Um, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian yet, please just look at verse 22 with me. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who Believe to all who trust. All this can be yours by trusting and believing in him. Please don't go away and try and figure this out and um, do better on your own. Don't go away and make excuses. Trust in him, believe in him, and all this will be yours. Trust. Second thing, um, adore. For those of us here that would call ourselves Christians, um, We're given nothing to do in this passage. (laughs) We're told to do nothing. I think all we're meant to do here is just look at what God's done and adore him for it. Not just think about, about, about the facts of the cross, but to look through the facts, to look through what he did, to what that shows me of God in himself. What that shows me about what he is like in himself like what kind of a god must you be if you would do that for me what kind of a god must you be that you can combine those attributes and adore him for it enjoy him again for it gaze at god once more and adore him and final final thought so trust adore um ensues and this one doesn't look quite as good, but um, I, I couldn't think of a better way of putting it. Enthused. What I mean here is that the cross, the gospel, shows me a God that I can be enthusiastic about. I don't have to be ashamed of this God. If this is what God is like, I want to be on his team. <laughs> I don't know about you. If this is what he's like, Look, he, he combines those two things that our society is gagging for and that our society has no answer for, justice and forgiveness. We want justice. We want mercy and forgiveness. They don't go together. At the cross, we get both. We get what our society is longing for. I don't have to be embarrassed of that God. I could be enthusiastic about knowing him, about telling other people about him because he gives us what we desperately need and what our society is longing for, justice and mercy. So trust, adore, enthuse. Let's pray. Oh Lord, for, for, for many of us, these are familiar truths, but thank you that... Um, Just if we've we've eaten food before doesn't mean we never need to eat food again. Thank you that even if we've heard these wonderful truths before doesn't mean we don't need to hear them again to feast on them once again. I pray that as we look at the cross um, this week that we would see through it to what it shows us about you in yourself. We praise you for your perfection. We praise you that you perfectly combine uh, uh, forgiveness and justice. And that means we can love you and trust you. We praise you for that. Please fill our hearts and minds with that this week. Will we not forget it? Would you drive those truths deep into us and change us by them, we pray. Amen.